0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new The National Blast podcast with Kenan Skelly. Join Kenan and guests as they blast you to a place that is certainly not boring, yet still giving you highlights from areas in cyber where key policies and legislation are needed, exist, but aren't enforced, or no one is even talking about it. Knowledge is power now more than ever
1: hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the national blast i'm your host keenan skelly we have a very special guest today representative Lou korea from California, and I'm gonna hand it over to him because we have a lot to talk about in cybersecurity today. But Lou, Congressman, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, what your focus is.
2: First of all, Keenan, let me just say thank you for service to our country. Uh, uh, this is a great nation we live in. It's a great country and we enjoy many freedoms. Individual liberties, economic opportunity—the greatest experiment, the greatest country in the world—we um, make it happen. People all over the world uh, are, are essentially coming to America today, as they have for the last 250 years, and that's because this is a great nation. And what makes it great is are people like you that actually go out and fight for our country um, as volunteers. You're not even. Uh, you know, you're not, you don't even have to go into the military, you do it because you think it's the right thing to do. And Miss Kelly, for that, I thank you very, very much. I'm Congressman Correa, uh, I'm son of immigrants. And I have to tell you, uh, uh, this is greatest country in the world, like I just said. Uh, my parents came to this country and because they came to this country, had opportunities like no others. Uh, I often tell people that if my parents my grandparents would have stayed in Mexico. I'd probably be working somewhere in a, a restaurant waiting tables. But because I came to the U.S., I worked hard, studied hard, um, followed the laws. I actually am now a member of Congress. And that says a lot about our nation. And mine is not a, a, a special story here today in Congress. We have a lot of individuals that um, fought their way, worked their way, and, and uh you know, through our society, through our economy, uh, and are now members of Congress. Um, I got here as a member of Congress with one simple uh, job, to keep America great, and number two, to make the life of my constituents on a daily basis better than it was when I got here. Uh, Easier said than done, because (laughs) in the five years that I've been here, Ms. Kelly, you learn that you have great plans, but you end up Managing by crisis. The last five years, it's been crisis after crisis after crisis, um, and at the same time, the environment is changing within that crisis. And what we try to do is manage. Manage and keep our eyes, so to speak, long-term. <clears throat> if I take you back over the last uh, you know, 40 years or so, we won the Cold War against the Soviet Union back in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. A great uh, Californian, Ronald Reagan was president, one of the greatest presidents we've had. He was able to win that Cold War. The Berlin, came, Berlin Wall came down. <clears throat> and for a while there, we were the, the only superpower in the world. And we had the opportunity, in my opinion, to do some great things. We could have done a lot better than we did, but here we are today, 40 years later, in a different world where uh, not only do we have Russia, who is no longer an economic power, but still continues to be a military uh, power with probably 10,000 nuclear weapons. We have a new kid on the block, which is China, which is now second or maybe the largest economy in the world, Uh, and that poses a whole different set of challenges. They uh, happen to be our one of our biggest trading partners. They happen to own probably our largest uh, percentage, of, percentage of foreign debt or American debt being held by foreigners. Um, we've worked well with them. They're our ally in World War II. Yet today, they, they have challenges. They pose challenges to us. Uh, and we have to manage that relationship. Uh, We also have challenges in the Middle East. We have challenges all over Asia. We have challenges in Latin America. So we as Americans have uh, an interesting world that we are, and we have to make sure that we make decisions that are optimal uh, and make decisions that we know will help us continue to be leaders in the world. And, And some of those decisions also have to be not about only America, but rather America and working with our allies around the world to leverage our strengths with those of our allies, um, and that leads us to, of course, to that issue that all of us keep talking about, which is cybersecurity. You know, the internet hasn't been around for more than a couple of decades. I I still remember, uh, and, and you know, you're gonna, I'm going to uh, essentially date myself, but I remember using typewriters in law school. And right as I was leaving law school computers, Apple computers started coming into the fray. But uh, look at us today and I'm sure the technology will only, you know, uh, continue to increase in terms of efficiency, complexity uh, by quantum leaps. But um, that leads us to, of course, cybersecurity, which is keeping ourselves secure. The internet, uh, which was designed to be an open system, is a great tool, but it's also a, a place of vulnerability as all of us have known. Uh, everybody knows somebody that's gotten hacked or has gotten held by uh, ransomware uh, and has had uh, things happen to them. Their credit card stolen online, that's happened to me a number of times. And all of a sudden I start getting my credit cards, uh, get charged up and I have no idea where that came from, but somebody somewhere, was able to download my vital information and and steal it. And the question now is, how do we become a better secure society when it comes to uh, cybersecurity? Uh, And those are the challenges we face today on a day-to-day
1: basis. And they are significant. I mean, (laughs) we've had a lot happen to us, like you said, Uh the COVID emergency that we've kind of all been dealing with. But on top of that, during that pandemic, cybersecurity threat actors have been getting more and more focused, laser focused on how they can get into organizations, especially with uh, a large portion of the workforce actually working from home and using their personal devices, using their personal computers—you know, the same ones where their kids are playing Xbox and Call of Duty and uh, and sharing all of their information with their gaming buddies—it's become a real challenge to kind of address all of the cybersecurity issues that have been coming and the wave of threat actors that continue to move in. You know, you know,
2: Keenan, you're absolutely right. You talk about uh the COVID, the pandemic, and how we became much more reliant on the internet uh, to communicate. And all of a sudden we realized that we opened up a whole new way of living that we never thought could be possible. But you know, I, I like to think of these issues basic stuff as basic stuff. Let's keep it simple, uh, uh, keep it manageable, for example. I've I've had my constituents call me and say, you know what? Somebody just uh, uh, got me. Somebody's called me wanting, you know, thousands of dollars. They seized all my, my data, my clients' data. What do I do? And after I finish helping them, their problems, I realized something, which is a lot of people bring these problems onto themselves. They themselves open up the door to these bad actors and, in one case in my district, the one I'm talking about, uh, one of the employees opened up one of these uh, emails that probably he should not have and in doing so downloaded some nasty stuff into through their uh, computer system in this financial services firm. And, you know, five, six years ago, in I sit on Homeland Security. Um, we were discussing this issue. We came up with this idea, which was, Uh, A chain is as strong as its weakest link. Very common concept, but very applicable to cybersecurity, because if you've got employees that don't, you know, uh, don't practice hygiene, you know, good hygiene when it comes to the office, their computers, then you're opening yourself up to a major uh, breach.
1: Uh, Oh, man. So my listeners are right now, they know it's going to happen. You know, it's coming. I'm going to get up on my soapbox about educating the masses and cybersecurity. Here I go. Oh, my gosh, yes. (laughs) This is so important and critical. And, you know, I was having this discussion with a couple of folks. Well, I have this discussion all the time, but what we were really missing, in my opinion, you know, if you think back to when we were younger, we had we had PSAs, the public service announcements, and the more you know, and and this and this and this. And when I was in high school, you know, we were taught how to balance a checkbook and do all of these things. But what we're not doing right now is actually teaching, you know, kids from kindergarten and then through, you know, teenage years and then into their internships and then into their jobs. And then after they retire, we should be teaching all of these people some Fundamental public service kind of announcement things when it comes to cybersecurity.
2: Well, you know, I'm glad you you brought that up because you know yesterday in Congress passed out uh, uh, Representative Kinsinger's uh, American Cybersecurity Literacy Act, and essentially does exactly that. Uh, tries to bring in a literacy campaign to increase knowledge and awareness of best practices when it comes to cyber. I I would argue though uh, Keenan that it's, it's much more basic. I I tell my, my kids at home, you know, don't put anything, don't put any pictures of yourself on social media. Don't do any of that stuff because it's never going away. It's going to stay somewhere in that, you know, cloud. And that stuff will be for sale to somebody who would want to buy it. Uh, When you go to interview for a job um, you know, a, a, An employment agency or an employer will look to see what you've done on on social media. Uh, And again, it's basic common sense. I guess it's basic common sense that I guess has to be learned. Uh, You know, I tell people sometimes that my blessing is we didn't have any phone cameras when I was in college. Otherwise, maybe I couldn't run for office. But yeah, it,
1: I think it, that it, that point though is is very relevant when we're talking about you know this generation of kids who are kind of growing up today where they've grown up in an entirely TikTok kind of world where they're sharing every moment of their lives just by nature. Um, so I know, you know, I, I do coaching for, um, you know, cyber Patriot and girls who code and things of that nature. And I'm absolutely baffled when they walk around with their phone and the videos on, and they're just walking around with the video as a person that grew up in a different time with, you know, different security expectations. So I, I think that, It's definitely about doing some education and some teaching to let them know that this world that has been built around you of technology, of being super open and sharing your entire life is also hurting you. And here's how I think those kind of correlations have to be like really, you know, driven home with the next generation.
2: And it is. And and, uh, coming back to the weakest link when it comes to businesses, when it comes to national defense, when it comes to financial services, if you think about all the vendors in in the supply chain, uh, national defense, uh, you know, in my district, I guess it's okay for me to say this, but I have some of the most top secret uh, manufacturing going on for some of our most sophisticated weapon systems that we have to defend this country. And they're very invisible to the naked eye. If you drive by some of these factories, you would think they're making, you know, paper clips, widgets. And once you get in and you look at it, you say, "Oh my God, these guys have the keys to some of the most sophisticated, you know, uh, quiet technology in the world, so to speak." And they also talk about the precautions that they have to take to make sure nobody hacks their systems nobody steals their technology and the pains they go through and then they talk about the pains they go through to make sure that everybody they talk to also is up to scrub because all you need is one weak link in that chain and it all gets blown up
1: absolutely and it not just you know you know third party vendors we've been talking a lot since colonial pipeline about supply chain attacks and things of that nature Um, you know, I feel like as, as a security person in general, we kind of think outside the box of security and everything we look at is from a security perspective, but you cannot expect that your employees, you know, if you're Microsoft, if you're an Amazon and you have global, you know, $250,000 or 250 uh, K employees, then that starts to get really interesting. And in how do you make sure that everybody understands the basics of what they should be doing? Um, so I, I really, it, it has to be more than just the kids and and the older people. It has to be like you said, with the literacy act, it has to be everyone. Everyone has to get this. It's basis.
2: interesting. You bring this up, Ms. Skelly, because I, I had a, we had a meeting with Google execs yesterday here in Congress, and they threw out a fact that I found was fascinating. anti spyware, um, anti-developing artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, they spend more money than probably the U.S. government.
1: Oh, yeah. And why aren't we spending that money on just making people smarter? Because people... most people, most Americans want to do the right thing, but if we keep providing them with crappy training and a crappy way of you know, understanding cybersecurity, they're never actually gonna, it's, it's not gonna stick. They're not gonna care. You have to make it personal. You have to make it personal to human beings in their everyday lives. And, and that's somewhere where, where we've been really kind of failing, I think, but y- you can't fix it with technology because at the end of the- day-
2: I couldn't agree with you more, Kelly. <laughs> we are failing in that area. And you think about it, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic is what we typically uh, teach our kids in, in in public schools or in anywhere else. But now you kind of almost have to get in there and talk about the, you know, the cyber security, the cyber, the AI age, so to speak. Um, this morning again, I had a a my uh, uh, meetings that I have with what's called the Aspen Group. Uh, a think tank in the US and the issue today was China and uh, threats in in that region of the world to the US and a lot of discussion, but the one thing that I walked away with was, the best way to counter these threats around the world is to invest in American education, invest in training our artificial intelligence folks, uh, educating our, our new generation, We can't be chasing their fastest hyper new missile. What's gonna change the world and keep us ahead of the rest of the world, militarily, industry-wise and every other way, is having the smartest people in the world, artificial intelligence, programmers, scientists, the best ships in the world. May they not be made in Taiwan, I wanna make them in the US. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to keep us ahead. And that means don't chase everybody. Don't chase your tail. Don't chase the other person. Focus on your lane. Like you said, heads up football, smart. We got to educate our folks
1: here. 100%. One hundred percent. I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, though, for that one, because um, I'm curious about what you think about this. I uh, had an argument uh, just the other day. I think it was yesterday, actually, about whether or not the arts should be considered part of STEM. So STEM versus STEAM. And then for the listeners, you know, STEM is is all focused on science, uh, technology, engineering, et cetera, uh, medicine, things of that nature. But the A in STEAM is for arts also. And the concept with that is that we should not take all of the money from all the schools in arts and music and these types of things, because that also gives children and gives, you know, the next generation of cyber defenders, the next generation of human beings, an understanding of imagination and how to think outside the box and how to take this technical knowledge that they have and apply it in a wide variety of ways. So I'm curious what you think about that in terms of the difference between STEM and STEAM and if arts really uh, fall into that focus that you totally
2: were- Totally 100% talking. with you, totally 100% <laughs> with you. Yes. And I'll tell you why, because um, artificial intelligence becoming a programmer, It's not about learning how to program. It's not learning how to write that code. It's about addressing a problem. Okay. And here, for example, in my job, every day I I have a number of meetings. And every day, what I try to come up with is thinking about the different aspects of the different problems. And they're, you know, Central America, they're China, they're, my neighborhood's back home. You're trying to find those common elements to those problems to come up with the best solution possible. You're coming up with a solution to those problems. And you have to think creatively. I, I didn't learn how to do that in my history class. I didn't learn that how to do that in my math class or calculus class. I didn't learn that in my law school class. What I learned was really how to think, okay? Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a frustrated artist. I, I should have gone and become an artist, but I stopped taking classes when I was in eighth grade. But your point is a good one, which is that's the way you think outside the box and to come up with solutions, that's what you have to do. And, and with all the respect, I think in, a, in an international competitive economic environment, Americans are known for our creativity. Absolutely. We create things and other countries take those things that we created and make them cheaper and sometimes better and so on and so forth, but we still lead the world when it comes to creativity. And I think that magic thing, that magic formula, that potion is the arts and the way to think in a different level.
1: Absolutely, I love it, I love it. (laughs) So, you know, one of the things that that I've actually been talking to you in your office about for a couple of months has to do with um, some of the issues that we have outside of China and outside of Russia when it comes to really getting at some of these international criminals who are kind of squatting in countries where they know that they can't really be, you know, arrested or extradited from Tell me your thoughts on that a little bit. How, how does that kind of fall into some of the other issues within Homeland Security? Like, you know, uh, when we talk about the drug trafficking and, and other things, is this a is this something that goes across, you know, the Homeland Security kind of space or is this new to, you know, cybersecurity?
2: Great question. And that one, uh, that was a soft pitch there for me because uh, I've been trying to talk about, um, this country, defense of this country, a big issue, big issue right now is border security. And most people look at the border security as being what's going on at the Southern border. Refugees, and how do you build a wall? How do you stop them? And my argument has been border security doesn't end, doesn't start, doesn't end at the border, but rather border security is something that's, that reaches beyond our borders. So for example, the drug trade, there's no one way to get drugs into the US. The issue isn't the drug trade, the issue is our drug consumption. But nonetheless, drugs create corruption, okay? And you talk about uh, the long arm of the law, the long arm of the US law, the FBI, the Department of Justice, our our federal criminal statutes, extradition treaties, one thing that criminals around the world fear are American prisons, because they know once you're in an American prison, you're not gonna get out. You're not gonna break out. You're not gonna have it easy. You're gonna be like everybody else there. And people don't wanna do hard time.
1: Mm, I, I would not wanna do hard
2: time. Foreign criminals, <laughs> American criminals. So in my opinion, what we've gotta do and what I'm trying to figure out is uh, a way to extend our jurisdiction so we have a corrupt individual in some part of the world that's taking U.S. aid and ends up in, a, in his, his or her Swiss bank account, we can extradite that person to the U.S. to you know, uh, essentially be held accountable for the crimes. In the same way, cyber. This is the issue. You, you, you hit it right on, uh, Kenan. Cyber criminals around the world Uh, usually it's not a state government that's doing this. It's a state government, a national government for better words, national government, foreign country that is looking the other way while these criminals are operating out of their country. And then, you know, whoever it is can say, hey, you know what? Our, Our government has no idea. We have no knowledge. If they're doing it, they're criminals in our country, but we don't know about them.
1: Oh, right. And that, that fact right there is what really kind of disturbs me about this because it essentially becomes state sponsored, especially if the criminals are, and, and this is the case when we're talking about cyber, most of them do not do cyber crime against those countries that are not going to extradite them. And if the government there decides to look the other way, then it, it to me, that's state sponsored terrorism.
2: Absolutely. And, and this is getting into another issue. I'll come back to this one in a minute. But so the goal here is to have an understanding with these countries, come up with international agreements to say you can't have this being done in your backyard. Um, we can so put sanctions on you. Uh, we can go after these criminals. And my preference is to go directly after these criminals and bring them to justice in the US. Extradition treaties, being able to go on. And by the way, if if you really are an ally, if you're really a trading partner, if you really want to do business with us, you got to work with us.
1: Absolutely. The point I want to
2: make to you though is this is also important for world stability. And and let me give you my perspective. Um, We have a lot of nuclear weapons, okay? China has a bunch of them. Russia has a huge bunch of them. We have tension all over the world. We have tensions in Taiwan. We have tensions in the Middle East. What would happen if a cyber attack blinded our national defenses for more than a minute or two? Yep. If you have our defense system blinded, you know what's going to happen. You know, you're going to have somebody on that button that's not going to know if it's some knucklehead in a in, you know, back room somewhere in a third world country, or if it's a, you know, the Russians or the Chinese that have decided they're gonna preempt, preempt us with a preemptive attack, they're gonna hit us first, they're gonna have a first strike. You don't know that, therefore your assumption's gotta be they're coming with everything they've got, we're gonna go with everything we've got. That's a very destabilizing situation in the world. And what we've got to do is sit down with these countries, China, Russia, Iran, hopefully North Korea someday, <laughs> that can't do this. We've got to come up with an international understanding. Otherwise, we're gonna oblater- obliterate each other. This is destabilizing. We've got to figure out how to take these, these destabilizing factors out of the equation. And you may think I'm dramatizing, but I would argue with you right now, that most of our electric grid has been trend penetrated with cyber malware. I believe most of our systems are already infected and I believe we've infected other systems around the world. And so it's that, you know, from the 1980s, this is mutually assured destruction. Yep. You don't pull the trigger because we can pull the trigger and then everybody just it, it come, becomes very ugly. But if it's another group that pulls the trigger, we have no idea who it is. You know, I
1: you're you're spot on. I totally agree with that. And, you know, we we've done this in other, you know, um, you know, domains before. And as somebody, you know, as an EOD tech, very familiar with nuclear chemical biological, you know, we got to a point as an international community where we could stand up and say, okay, we're not going to use mustard gas anymore because it's a jerk move and it's going to really destroy Humanity, right? It's going to come into blows, just like your nuclear um, kind of example, just like a chemical example. If we're talking about VX and other things like that, but what people continue to fail to realize is that cybersecurity, information security, is the the linchpin across all of those domains. So it has to get to the point where we have international norms, where we have international conversations that really drive home that this is just like those domains and equally as dangerous.
2: Correct. And so again, I would come back to what I said earlier, which is keep this stuff simple and and keep the fundamentals there. Uh, We have to have education, basic education, along with reading, writing, and arithmetic. You talk about cyber hygiene, cybersecurity, the, the new world we are living in, where you know, I, as an elected official, my expectation of privacy is zero. And you know, 20 years ago, people are telling me, you know, the opposition is going to find out where you write your checks to, what you've been spending your money on, and you're gonna get your credit card receipts. That was 20 years ago. God knows what they can do now, right? Probably they can, you know, watch my movements everywhere I go. So the point is that we we're living in a new world, and we have to, as a society, Adjust to that, and you know, use the internet, use cyber for positive purposes, and minimize the negativity uh, of this new world. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this one back on you as a ask. Um, education in this country, we talk about, you know, kids graduating from high school, going to university, kids graduating from high school, going to a trade school, becoming a construction worker. Um, Nowhere do we talk about cyber, okay? If I have somebody, if I have a kid, a young man, young lady who I can tell is brilliant, um, who who probably is not, not really a person who wants to go to college, but is brilliant, where do they go get their cyber education? Where can them go study and, and say, you know what? I have an aptitude for this. I can do this. You know, the story is that there's a story right now about one of the biggest hackers that we know in the world lives in the country nearby, 19 years old. Yep. Brilliant on the spectrum. This is special because this shows me that we have individuals in our society that are super intelligent where they can study programming, they can study code and become very productive members of our society and probably help us get to the next level. Question is, how do we educate them? How do we open up the doors of cyber technology, cyber education? And this is your area and I would ask you, help me, help us try to figure out how to do this hundred
1: percent. I I have have all the ideas. When we're talking about neurodiversity, specifically in cybersecurity, that is definitely one of my passions and something that is so crucial. You're right. When we have people who are on the spectrum or we have people who maybe have Asperger's or just ADHD. Um, Any types of these kind of, you know, what people would say are disabilities are really not when it comes to cybersecurity. And we definitely have uh, some resources around the country that are are getting more involved in that. But there's definitely... I think a need for support from Congress to make that happen in terms of other organizations, you know, I'm on the board for Women's Society of Cyberjutsu. um, And uh, I I actually uh, another organization that I know very well, um, Raisis, is having a conference here uh, this weekend, which I believe you might be a part of uh, to help the Latino and, um, and Hispanic uh, community get more involved in cyber. There are so many of these kind of nonprofits and organizations around the country that do this, but what we need, what we really need is kind of the mandate to provide public service, you know, cybersecurity understanding. And that's just not there right now, which is why you see so many of these 501c3s popping up to kind of fill that void. and you're 100% right. A college degree isn't necessarily the path. Certification, spending you know $10,000 on certifications is not necessarily the path. Some of the best hackers, the best engineers that I know learned everything that they know on YouTube. So the people are out there. We just have to get better as a country about providing those access points for them.
2: And as you said, maybe what we do need to do now is, uh, Keenan, we need to formalize it a little bit, uh, bring in some, you know, leverage some of the nonprofit dollars, leverage the expertise, private sector like you with the federal dollars, local dollars, and come up with a system that works, system that's yes. readily available and accessible. Because right now, uh, from my vantage point, getting an education in cyber, getting an education to address uh, uh, artificial intelligence is something that I don't see in front of me. It's, it's very dark and murky. I can't see where to go to get that information. And if I can't see it, I can't tell my constituents where to go. And that's why I I'm making this personal ask of you to help me help me help our country better prepared for this new emerging era.
1: I am all in. I will help on this topic all day and every day. I love it.
2: Thank you very much. So let's continue to talk. Let's continue to work. And, you know, I hope uh, I, you invite me back into your podcast because there's so much that we could talk about. You know, I, I'll end with where I should have started, which is my committee assignments. I sit on Judiciary Committee, which addresses antitrust, which means I deal with the Googles, the Apples, the, the big Amazons, the other companies. I also deal in cyber. Uh, I've dealt with impeachment, I've dealt with immigration. And again, immigration is a big issue since you know, you look at Silicon Valley, 50% of the people in Silicon Valley are either foreign, foreign born immigrants or first generation. So again, immigration, big part of this. And the other committee, judiciary is my big one. The other one that's really big is Homeland Security where again, I've served for five years and every time I turn around, I'm learning something new about cyber. And like I said, the goal here, my goal, and I think of all of us is trying to take what's going on in Central America, what's going on in Latin America, going on the Middle East, what's going on in cyber, what's going on in the jungles, put it all together into one very simple format to protect the country.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been a great conversation, and I really look forward to you know chatting more about the things that we can do to continue to make America better in cybersecurity.
2: Um, it's a pleasure, Miss Skelly, and let's continue to talk.
1: Absolutely. And
2: we end this conversation. I have to go vote. <laughs> okay. Government open. We're hoping to keep government open. I think we have till tomorrow to pass another extension. Uh, so like I said, we live crisis to crisis.
1: Yes, please keep the government crisis. open.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, I know. Thank you. So
1: everyone, uh, this has been the latest episode of the National Blast. Thank you for listening in with Representative Correa and uh, and uh, we'll see you on the flip side.
0: Take care, bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the National Blast podcast with Kenan Skelly.